Hello, and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy. In this episode, I'm sharing a conversation that I had with Claire Bidwell-Smith. Claire is an author and a therapist specializing in grief. She's written several books, one of them being The Rules of Inheritance, where she shares her personal experience with loss as an only child losing both of her parents to cancer before the age of 25. Her second book, After This, When Life is Over, Where Do We Go? She explores what happens after we die. And then her third book that just came out this year called Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief. In this episode, we talk about the stages of grief and Claire shares with us the relationship between grief and anxiety. We both share a little bit about our own experiences with loss. We talk about the power of support and Claire offers some really wonderful resources. I'm really excited to share this episode and conversation with you, so let's get to it. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, let's jump in. Hi, Claire. Thank you so much for joining me today and virtually finding the time to sit down and have this conversation with me. I've been really wanting to do this with you for a while after I heard about you through our mutual friend, Tamara Taggart, who is on the podcast a while back. I love her so much and I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So I would love to, um, just for context, for anybody who isn't familiar with your work, I'm hoping to familiarize them and so that they can you know, have you as a resource. Um, could you share a little bit about the work that you do and a little bit about your background? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a therapist. I specialize in grief. I've been in private practice for about 10 years. I was in hospice before that. Um, I have written three books about grief and loss. My most recent just came out a couple of weeks ago, and it's called Anxiety, the Missing Stage of Grief. And this new book is really built upon all the work I've been doing this last decade with clients and also a lot of personal experience. Um, I lost both of my parents both to cancer uh, by the time I was 25 and I'm an only child. So those experiences of loss really shaped my path and led me into the work that I do today. I just, I'm so grateful to have found you personally as a resource, just from my own um, experiences with loss over the last couple of years. And that was sort of, you know, how Tamara, Tamara really, you know, chose to connect me with the work that you were doing um, was through my own personal experiences, and I just found your work to be so wonderful. And I'm, I'm hoping to, at the end of this episode, definitely get where people can find you and continue to follow your work um, so people can have you as a resource as well. Yeah, we all go through loss at some point or another. So, Right. It's, the, it's a universal human experience. Like yeah. none of us, no matter where who we are, where we come from, we will all be touched by it. And loss comes in a lot of different forms, you know, so even for those who haven't necessarily lost a significant person in their lives, loss comes in the form of the end of relationships, divorce, moving, career changes. There's so many different kinds of loss that we go through in our lifetimes over and over. You're you're so right. And I'm so curious to hear more about this most recent book that you've written. I saw the title and my first thought was, oh my gosh. 
Yes. And I feel like, you know, there's, there's the stages of grief that maybe you can share a little bit more about, um, that a lot of us as providers, um, who offer support to those who, who are experiencing loss are aware of, but we don't often necessarily automatically connect anxiety with grief and loss. So maybe you can share a little bit with us about how you came to decide that anxiety is a missing stage. And, and maybe you can, you know, begin by sharing a little bit about what, what we mean by stages of grief. Um, and then we can talk a little bit about anxiety and how you're, how you're understanding its role. Yeah. The stages of grief are so interesting to me. I've been talking about them and writing about them for years. So they were coined by a a Swiss physician named Dr. Kubler-Ross in the 1960s. And she was working in a hospital in Chicago and she was seeing a lot of dying patients, not grieving patients, but dying patients. And she was really noting that their experiences were kind of overlooked by the doctors and the medical care around them. And so she started on this whole thing of trying to make people more aware of the dying process. She started bringing these patients on stage on really kind of like trying to help them explore their experience on a broad level so that the medical staff could understand what they were going through. And during this work, she came up with these five stages that dying people were going through and they were denial, bargaining, anger, depression, and acceptance. Those stages work really well for someone who's been given a terminal diagnosis. If you're given six months to live, you're going to die of cancer, you often go into denial first. Then you um, get angry about this. Then you maybe bargain with your higher power or with people around you, yourself, doctors. Then you kind of go into a, a depression that heads into an acceptance of where you are. Those stages work great when when applied to that particular experience. But the stages became so popular when she brought them out into the world that they she kind of moved them onto the grief process pretty quickly. And our culture just swept away with this idea of the five stages of grief. Um, and they do work well in some ways as a framework. I, I love Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I'm so profoundly grateful for the work she has done to broaden the topic of death and dying and grief and end of life. But there needs to be some new changes and some new looking at, at how we grieve because it's not linear. It's not this perfect experience where we can fit it into five stages. If we do this, then we do that one, then this one. But grief is so difficult that people really long for some kind of perfect formula. And I think that's why the five stages have stuck around. Um, And so one of the things that I've really noticed in my personal experience and in my professional experience is anxiety being a very real part of grief. Um, And when I say that, I mean people who are losing someone significant and then developing an intense amount of anxiety. Maybe they've had anxiety before in their lives and it now comes back in a stronger, bigger way. Or a lot of them have never experienced anxiety and they lose someone they love and suddenly they're having panic attacks, they're having hypochondria, they're just having a lot of catastrophic worrying about other people dying or other negative, terrible events happening. And it's something that kind of takes over. And when I started seeing this, I started looking in all the grief literature for some answers and some help on how to how to help these people and was really finding no connection there. Um, everything was still stuck around these five stages that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross came up with and anxiety was lacking from them. Um, I know for myself, I had my first panic attack 
right around the time my mother died when I was 18. I ended up in an ER. I thought that I was dying. I thought something was wrong with me. They hooked me up to all these machines. They eventually sent me on my way, not ever making the connection for me that I was going through something big in my life. Um, And it took me years myself to connect the dots between my loss and grief and my anxiety. And when I did, I was able to start to begin to heal. So that is really why I wrote this book. I started writing about the connection between grief and anxiety a few years ago, about five years ago. And ever since I started writing about it, my office has been inundated with clients experiencing it. So I've gotten a a really, really broad range of people I've been able to work with um, going through this, which has been helpful um, just to learn even more about it. I mean, the good news is that it's really treatable. We can get through this, but it's definitely, I really wanted to put this book out in the world and help people know that they're not alone in going through this. It just, it makes so much sense when you take a step back and you think about it because, you know, anxiety is something that we're all hardwired for. Anxiety's job is to protect us, Mm -hmm. right? And, and often what we're, you know, trying to be protected from is from great harm, loss or death, right? Um, And our anxiety response worked works really well when we are in, you know, a dangerous situation or, you know, there's, um, you know, or back in the day, you know, when we were cave women and mm-hmm. there was a rustling in the bushes and our anxiety, you know, system turns on and we're able to hopefully get away from the danger and then it turns off and we're back to, you know, our, you know, not feeling that like surge of anxiety mm-hmm. um, or those things. Anxiety. Yeah, even just a low level of anxiety is useful. You know, it helps us prepare for things. It helps us stay on our toes. It helps us get ready to take a test or go on a trip or prepare for a speech, you know? So there is a usefulness to it, but it can sure get away from us too. Yeah. And, and when we experience a loss, right? Like that, it's like that part of our brain is like, well, the, so this, the scary thing that, you know, the horrible thing that we're wanting to protect ourselves from now has happened Mm -hmm. and so then that part of our brain gets activated and is almost like now you know searching like viciously almost for danger because now we've experienced the thing that we were that you know all of us you know hold fear around right yep we can definitely get stuck in a loop of anxiety once it once it begins in that in that sense once the worst case scenario has happened and then we start to focus on it and worry about more we can really get stuck there yeah. So, so what have you discovered can be like, you know, first, I think first, obviously it sounds like the big, a big step is understanding the relationship, right. Between somebody's anxiety and the grief and loss that they have experienced um, or the loss that they've experienced. And then, and then what, what comes, so after insight, then what, what can we do? There's a few things, but yeah, beginning with kind of accepting and understanding that the anxiety is directly related to this loss and just accepting that you have it in general. Some people, some people don't realize that even what they have is anxiety. They're, they're just, um, they think they're worrying about things or they think there's something actually wrong with them. Um, so that's the first step. The next step that I've found with this particular grief related anxiety is really needing to do some grief work before you can get to the cognitive behavioral kind of thought changing work that does help the anxiety immensely. There's still this 
this underlying layer of let's explore the grief process. Have you been really grieving? Have you really let yourself open up to this? Have you really let yourself mourn and cry and work through anger and guilt and sorrow around that loss? Have you explored your ideas about death? Have you, I mean, that's one of the biggest problems in our culture is that we just do not know how to talk about death and dying. And so when it happens to us, we don't have a, we don't have a framework for it. We don't have context for it. We don't have any guideposts or even people kind of guiding us through it. And so we try to push it away because we don't know how to handle it. That's when, that's when the anxiety really begins to fester. So once you kind of work through that layer of really exploring the grief on a, on a deep level, then you can start to tackle the anxiety. If you start to tackle the anxiety first without doing the grief work, it's not going to last, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but so once you've done the grief work, you can work on the anxiety. And, and it's really a matter of a lot of mindfulness, meditation, doing some cognitive behavioral work around understanding how our thoughts affect our emotions and how those emotions affect our behaviors. And really taking a good look at that and changing those. And is this, you know, and I love that you're, I love that you're bringing this up because this is something that myself I've struggled with when it comes to CBT. I think sometimes some of the language around it is, um, you know, you know, reduce, you know, getting rid of symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously like we talked about anxiety is one of those things that, we're always, it's, there's, there's levels of it that are really useful. And also with grief, right? Grief is one of those things that we're not going to get over. And like you finish the final stage and guess what? Now your, your, your grief is done, right? Mm-hmm. Grief is one of those things that, that evolves um, and, and moves, you know, through us and with us. Um, and so how do you, like when you're working with clients and you're doing some of this work, um, how do you sort of frame what like the end goal is, right? Like what are we, what are we working towards? The end goal is to not be so, let's not have our anxiety be so powerful to not be so controlled by it. You know, when you're really in the throes of it, there are days when you wake up and it's, it's there before you even open your eyes. Right. And it, yeah. it colors your whole day. It, it affects all of your emotions, your behaviors that day. So the end goal is to really strip that away. Um, we can't, we can't get rid of anxiety altogether. We, we wouldn't want to. It, again, it, it is helpful on a certain level. So the goal is not to completely get rid of it, but the goal is to understand it. And so when it does pop up, take a look at it and say, what is this asking of me? What is it that I'm not resolving within myself or, or thinking about that, that's causing the anxiety? And then how can I take a step back from it so that it's not controlling me today? Right. So it's more about slowing down the process so that it's not just, you know, stimulus in response and I'm believing everything that my mind is telling me and then responding to, to that mm-hmm. as if it's all true, right? Um, but sort of slowing down, slowing down that process so that you are feeling more empowered and having more agency in how you're responding and developing a different kind of relationship with those thoughts when they do show up. Yeah, exactly. And it's really, it's really pretty easy once you start to do it. And the positive reinforcement of it is so quick, you know, um, because the relief is so palpable. Um, but when you're in the throes of it and you're kind of on your own, it's it's hard to see through it. You know, you really feel overwhelmed by anxiety. You feel like there's something else wrong with you that you're not going to be able to find your way out of this. Um, so it, it's, it's important to get some help and also just do this work with some compassion for yourself. Oh, so much compassion. I know. It's, it's, called- it's like the bottom line, right? Just be kind to ourselves while we're going through these big experiences. So much tenderness is called for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I feel, I feel a little funny, like 
like rewinding a little bit, but um, you did mention, you know, how important it is to really, you know, dive deep into the grief work itself before we start tackling the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you can share, you know, a little bit, you know, maybe from some of your prior books and the other work that you, you know, the work that you do around grief. What does that look like? What can clients expect that to look like? I think sometimes the, you know, sometimes there's the fear of actually diving deep into that, that keeps us from getting support, right? Because it's like, you know, I, I need to function. I, maybe I'm a parent. I have to go to work. Like mm-hmm. I've experienced this loss, but I don't, I don't want to go back. I don't want to open it up because I'm afraid. What if I open it up and I never get back out? Yeah. There's definitely so much fear ab- about that. And what if I start crying and never stop? What, what if I open this door to all this grief and I just can't ever get through it? Um, and yeah, we're, we are all trying to live our lives. And, and so it's, it's feels daunting to think about deep diving into grief, but the truth is that it's not going to go anywhere unless you do. It's truly a process that needs to be honored and it's going to keep coming back in different forms until you've sat with it. Um, I'll give you an example just from my personal life. So when my mom died, when I was 18, she had cancer and did a lot of treatments right up until the very end. And she herself was very much in denial about dying, which meant that all of us around her were as well, right? We weren't talking about it. We weren't saying goodbye. We weren't having conversations that we could have had. And so when she died, for me, it was really shocking and so brutally painful um, because I hadn't prepared for it in any sense. And I also literally wasn't there, physically wasn't there. I didn't. I wasn't there the night she died. I was kind of avoiding the whole situation. But again, I was following cues from the people around me, the adults around me. Um, And so then she was gone and I was left with a a huge amount of guilt and regret and confusion and all these questions. And this is what I see all the time in clients as well. They'll have a, a, a loss or a death like this, be left with this immense amount of stuff to sort through emotionally, yet not feel able to do it. And they try to tuck it away and they try to get on with their lives and try to put that all in a box and move forward yet it doesn't go anywhere. So when I talk about deep diving, it doesn't always have to be a huge mess of crying on the floor, which sometimes it does. Sometimes we do just need to take time and cry all day or take naps while we're grieving. Um, but other other work that needs to be done is just kind of sorting through some of those big questions that are left, you know? Um, I had to work through some of my guilt and remorse and I had to learn how to forge a new connection with my mom. Um, I had to think about my ideas about death and the afterlife and what that meant for me. Uh, There was just a lot of pieces that I needed to move through in order to get to a place where I was even able to tackle the anxiety. No, I mean, it's like the personal story that you just shared um, really resonates from with my own experience of loss, which again was different. I didn't lose my mom. I lost a friend, Um, but there were, we never had conversations Mm -hmm. about the fact that she was dying. And then at the very end, there was um, like a kind of a closed door where I didn't really, I didn't get to connect with her Mm -hmm. directly. Um, And so then when she did die, there were, there just, it felt like there were just things that didn't get to, that didn't get to be said. And, um, and it complicated my grief process. Absolutely. Yeah. There's always, there's always unresolved things, sometimes much more than others. You know, even, even a a simple clean death where you had all the opportunity in the world to say goodbye to somebody, there's still going to be some unresolved stuff there. You know, we never are ready to say goodbye to somebody. 
we love, but especially when we don't get the opportunity like you didn't, um, there's a lot left there. I really believe, and I write about this a lot in the book, that there are some ways to work through that and that we must. There are ways to make amends. There are ways to have conversations that you didn't get to have. There are ways to kind of heal that that hole and that pain inside of you, um, that the door is not completely closed to that person. Just because they're gone, the relationship is not over. I, I found myself, I mean, I, I think you posted something recently about um, the value of like of letter writing mm-hmm. and writing a letter. Um, and that was actually something that I did. And it was like, I think I even commented when you um, when you shared that on social media and I, I shared, I mean, I remember writing the letter and just like, I don't think I've ever had that much, that many tears come out of my yeah. eyes. Um, it's so powerful. It was such an emotional experience. Um, because all those things are living inside of you, you know, like you're walking around all day wanting to say those things to your friend, wanting to have those conversations or ha- ask those questions or say those apologies, whatever it is. And if you're walking around all day with that in, inside of you, you know, it's a real thing. So to actually put it on paper and to say it is very healing and really powerful. Yeah. And, and you know, I think another thing that that comes up in this relates back to what we were, what we were talking about in terms of the, those like stages, right? Those like idea, like a linear process that you can go through is that you, you can feel like you've sort of um, moved through some of the more painful parts of, of, of your grief around this loss and then, and then go through a new stage in your life where it just like reopens things mm-hmm. um, in these, in these, in these ways. I mean, I've, I've worked with clients before where, you know, they've, they lost, um, a parent and, and then when they become a parent themselves, it just, things get reopened and there's, 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 there's pain there that they thought that they had sort of resolved. Right. Um, and so it's sort of like comes to this idea that sometimes we have this idea that like grief is something you get over. Right. No, it comes in so many layers and waves and we have to, it does resurface with all kinds of different life events. I went through a divorce um, five years ago, and I had a lot of grief resurface. Grief from my own family and my parents, you know, that came up during that during that time. And um, I was surprised to have some of the old stuff come back, but it does. It really circles back. And motherhood for me had brought on some new understandings and feelings about loss and my own parents. It's not something that goes away, but it's something that we that we continue to grow from. Like, I, I really think that grief is, can also be a beautiful opportunity for growth. It asks us to look at ourselves in some really profound ways um, that, that are very different from any other time in our life. You know, we really are kind of brought to our knees and, and brought to a, a really sparse understanding of the world and, and have to kind of reckon with ourselves. And, and when we emerge from that reckoning, there's, there's often a really powerful new version of ourselves. Mm, this, I, this visual of being brought to your knees, I don't know why it gave me goosebumps mm. and it just, it really resonates um, from the experience where it's just, you know, I don't think that anything has ever really brought me to my knees like loss has. And, and similarly, you know, um, experiences like motherhood, like becoming a mother, it brought me to my knees in its own way. Mm-hmm. And, and I think becoming a mother, going through these different life transitions, 
um, they bring about their own, they can be, they can be triggers for anxiety in their own ways, mm-hmm. right? Because Definitely. Now, there's, now I'm, I'm more vulnerable to pain because now I have this human who's an extension of me outside of me that I want to protect. Mm-hmm. And there's just, there's more to lose, right? Um, so I could see also how, when we look at sort of anxiety as being sort of the forgotten stage of the, you know, the, the stage we haven't been talking about, um, of grief, how becoming a mother, going through a divorce, getting married, um, these big life transition moments can, can bring about a new sort of wave of, of the grief process, um, but also the anxiety component of it. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, I just, I, I really think that the key to all of it is to, to, honor it and to let these things change you and to let them break you open when we resist them that's when that's when it all goes awry right you know that's when things get really hard and that's when we have um that's when we have like behaviors that that are maladaptable and really don't work well um but when we just kind of give into it and give into the process and let ourselves be curious about how how we're going to change and what's going to be required of us then it's much easier so Claire, what are some of the like resources or sort of points of contact if, if somebody is listening and they are, they've experienced loss, which probably is every single person mm-hmm. who is listening at some level, um, have been touched by loss and the different ways in which loss can look. Um, where do we start? Like where do we where where can somebody start to begin to get support? There's so much online these days. There's um I think it's always great to Google your particular kind of loss. If you've lost a spouse or a parent or sibling or somebody to suicide or a friend or a pet, that it's, it's, it's good to sometimes narrow in on that because each one is different. There's a lot of universality around loss, but there are also some very particular experiences for the different kinds of loss we go through. So narrowing it to that, just doing a simple search online will turn up amazing organizations, therapists, books to read, courses to take, and, and you know, just not, not going it alone. Um, I think grieving, I, I say this all the time, that it's a really lonely process. You know, you can feel like you're just in this thing that everyone else is living their life around you and you're grieving. Um, so finding some support for yourself. We're, we're not so great at asking for help in our culture, which is something else that needs to change. So finding some help for yourself as you go through it and not feeling so alone, finding some others who've been there um, or who are also going through it is really a great first step. Yeah, I found that when, um, when I lost my friend a few years ago, you know, there were other friends that you know, we all lost her at the, together at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the most powerful components of healing for myself was, you know, we had this, we had this huge group text where like anytime that there was something that reminded one of us of her, or if we were, if any of us were just having a really, really hard day or hard night, um, we would hop on there and there would be somebody there that would respond mm. and that would be there. Um, but also, you know, we kind of, we created some of our own sort of like rituals and gatherings. Um, and there were like symbols that came out from, and they were shared symbols. I also, I also, you know, developed my own personal symbols and meaning. Um, but having that sort of that support system, it was just, it felt like this safe, warm hug that yeah. was just constantly available. You know? We don't have to do this alone. 
it's, it's, it's really nice to go through it with other people. And sometimes we don't have that built-in group that you had in, in the shared loss, but there are really, there are some pretty amazing support groups out there and communities. Um, I know that, you know, losing a child is just a really, really deep loss. And there's some amazing resources out there for people who are in that. Um, and just, just, yeah, just not being so alone in this is key. So I know that you are an incredible resource. So could you share a little bit about the different books that you have, offerings that you have, and where people can find you? Yeah. My, my first book's a memoir called The Rules of Inheritance, and it's about the loss of both my parents and kind of my path through that. My second book is called After This, When Life is Over, Where Do We Go? And that is my exploration of the afterlife and how looking into our various beliefs around the afterlife can affect the grief process. And I went on kind of a wild personal journey seeing psychic mediums and talking to shamans and rabbis and priests and doing all kinds of crazy stuff (laughs) to kind of figure out what happens when we die. Um, And then the new book is about anxiety and grief. And um, you can find me on my website, clairebidwellsmith.com. I have a ton of resources on my website. I have podcasts and meditations. I created an online course that you can do on your own that's based on all the work I do um, with my clients. So that's available too. It's called A Safe Place to Grieve. What an incredible offering, Claire. I, um, yeah. I'm just I'm so happy to have you as a resource personally, but also as from a clinician to another clinician to know that, um, that those resources are there and available to to anybody. Thank you. Yeah. Nobody has to do this alone. Well, Claire, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. Um, I will definitely link all these resources that you're sharing in the podcast notes for anybody who is listening. And, and Claire, it's just been, it's been such a pleasure and joy. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. If you did, you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Have a great day.